Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Dan Janish. Dan Janish is a bit hard to figure, but he's well worth the attempt. He's been around the block and he's still at it, writing solid songs and playing shows beholden to no one. He has always operated a bit apart from the mainstream, so much so that he has built a career out of being an outsider. He comprises one-third of the songwriting team of the Los Angeles local supergroup Jolene's, and he has albums of his own. But it's Janish's Renaissance Man lifestyle that helps to paint the legend of his maverick status. He's not content to simply crank out great songs or play solid guitar parts. He is a natural craftsman and a tinkerer who is not afraid to deconstruct things to see how they work. So when Janish plays those great songs, he just might be doing so with a guitar he built or an amplifier he assembled. Janish wears his influences on his sleeve, which leads to inevitable comparisons to a number of other artists. And at this stage in his career, his voice is eerily reminiscent of an alt-country Neil Diamond, and that's not a bad thing. Welcome to Independence Day, Dan Janish. Hey, Dan. How you doing, Joe? Good, man. Good to see you. It's nice to see you, too. What's going on? Oh, just um, doing this today and enjoying it and ready for summer. Playing some tunes. Writing some tunes. Yeah, summer's my favorite, man. Even in California, because I, I grew up in a, 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 cli- or a pl- climate with seasons, like pretty drastic seasons. Yeah. And people tell me, like, you know, when I, I come out here, my friends back east are like, well, you know, what are you complaining about? It's like, well, it's still gets dark. Mm-hmm. You know, I like summer. I like long days. Yeah. You know, long days and, and it was like long evening, because that makes the evenings longer too, because like in winter, the evenings happen real fast. Yeah. You know, poop, sun's gone. Oh, see ya. All right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we don't have to talk about the weather here to talk about music. Yeah, I know. Uh, Dan Janish, uh, Los Angeles guy, guitar player, uh, songwriter, singer, luthier. Yeah, I know that you tinker with guitars and with amplifiers. We'll Sometimes, cycle through yeah. some of those conversations, and you're going to play some live songs here in a few minutes. But the first thing I want to bring up is that, like, I mean, I kind of know you a little bit. I know your background. Uh, you play in Jolene's mm-hmm. with uh, David Serby and Grant Langston. Uh-huh. Done a million other things with a million other people in Los Angeles over the years. But you're kind of a tabula rasa for me, now that this is focused on you specifically. Like, I, you don't really have a bio that I could look up. You don't have, like, a... You know, it's not, I don't know a lot of information about you. So for both me and on behalf of my audience, give me your mm-hmm. baseball card. Like, tell me some stuff about your background. Oh, uh, well, um, you know, uh, the beginning of playing music was like a lot of people, uh, playing guitars and bands, punk rock kid. Um, and where was huge, this, like specifically? Where did you This is here in, uh, in Los Angeles. Okay. And, um, you know, I sort of started playing music in my 20s and... Um, and, uh, you know, huge love of, um, Hank Williams senior, uh, caused me to go a certain direction, uh, you know, outside that when I started making up songs and voila, the next thing you know, you start writing and, um, uh, doesn't really work in punk rock clubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of didn't for a while. I mean, there were guys, you know, like the, there's the bloodshot scene in Chicago, which is kind of like insurgent country, like amped up punk mixed together. And then Uncle Tupelo, yeah. uh, which started kind of in my neck of the woods, was very much punk melded with country. You know, yeah. Two very raw at their heart art forms. Yeah, I suppose kind of what I was together. doing wasn't exactly that. I was like yeah. making songs that were, I wasn't trying to include any anything in them other than what they were, you know. So I, yeah, but 
Um, was, so now, you know, who was it that made you want to be a musician in your life? Was there a band that came through town or a local band that you looked up to or like older kids in your high school or an older brother? I think it was probably from when I was like four, I loved John Fogarty. Ah, see, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So Now, was, did your, was it your pops that would play Fogarty or did you just hear it on the radio? I heard it on the radio. You know, two sisters that both had radios and... Um, and my mom was a cool lady. She uh, she just went out and bought me their record. So, Which record was that? Do you remember? Uh, it was Green River. Okay. And and then what's the what's the other one? Is it Cosmos Factory? Cosmos Factory is my yeah. personal favorite. Yeah, I love was, their version of uh, uh, "Heard It Through the Grapevine." It's my per, it's my favorite version of that yeah. song. So that stuff just had me at, uh, hook, line, and sinker when I was like a five year old, and I still love it. But yeah, you know. So I feel like Credence is one of those bands that like launched a thousand ships. You know, I would imagine Credence, yeah. Van, the Beatles, of course, the Beatles, Stones, who, uh, Credence, Van Halen. Like, there's certain bands like you can when you trace that rock and roll tree back. Like a lot of stuff started with something like that. And the great thing about Credence, so so popular, you know, big reach, but good, mm. you know, at the same time, and very accessible, and and like and kind of like doubly accessible in the sense that they were easy to play. Yeah. Right. Those songs, you know, there's not a lot of non-diatonic chords in yeah. those songs. A lot of them are one, four, five. Yeah. You know, so a young guitar player can like pick that up right away. Was that the case for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't start playing the guitar until years and years later. Okay. So, you know, um, uh, I, I, I actually have kind of a funny story. When I was a little kid, I wanted a guitar. And um, my parents, w- w- we weren't... We weren't a well-off family. We weren't, you know, living in a dirt shack. But, uh, but they they got the blue chip stamp book and they brought it to me. If you remember the blue chip stamp book, yeah, kind of like they were green stamps where I grew up too. Yeah. yeah. And so my father showed me this page. It had guitars on it, and there was, you know, one size and then a medium size and a small one. And I just told him, I was like, "Well, I'm kind of small, so maybe we should get the smallest guitar." <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was a ukulele, <laughs> and I was kind of upset when it showed up i can imagine it's like wait a second that's not a guitar it's not what john lennon plays so it's not what fogarty plays either for that yeah matter. yeah yeah maybe they might have had a ukulele but i hadn't seen him play it um so now get me from the time like who were you what kid were you in high school you know everyone mm-hmm. has like their kind of identity you know that they were like the like it's well there's the whole breakfast club concept or like the you know john hughes kind of divided up kids in our generation my generation into like the jock yeah. Um, like the prissy girl, like the outcast girl, and then the brain kid. You know, um, there's way more archetypes than that, but yeah. Um, sheesh, I don't even know which one. Uh, did you play sports? Slightly chubby, uh, 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 outcast kid, maybe. Yeah. Did you find what was your niche? Like, where did you like? What, what did you and your buddies do? Like on Saturday night, were you? Smashing um, mailboxes or playing no. chess club. What were you doing, man? <laughs> it kind of depended. You know, I had one friend who was really into prog rock, and we'd go to his house, and they'd smoke weed, and we'd drink beer. And But I never got into prog rock. So, you know, it was just like this this mishmash of, of, of guys who didn't have any similar music taste trying to trying to make something work. I'm sure something came out of that. But, um, um you know, and then I met some people that I started playing some music with. Yeah. You know, probably right around the end of high school. And we're, you know, <laughs> obviously it, something had to happen other than that ukulele. Like, where, oh, yeah, like yeah, how yeah, did no. you get from the uke when you were little to, you know, through Credence 
and the other things that you were into. Is it like classic rock too? Were you a classic rock guy? Some of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you know, just whatever was on the radio when you're a kid usually has got an influence on you. Um, no, I, as far as guitar, I don't. I think my dad actually got me a guitar for Christmas when I was like uh, 16 or something like that. And I learned how to play it. At least I think I did. Now, was your inspiration like the same as like the Springsteen inspiration, like cars and girls, and like you wanted to have the guitar so you could get the girls, or like what order was it? Or did um, you already have the girls, Dan? Obviously, you're a good. No, guy. I didn't have any girls. I was trust me. There was. I seem to have a, a girl repelling uh, 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 vibe going on about me when I was that age. Um, it's not uncommon. I don't. Think, I, I just, think. yeah. It was. It was. It was. It was, it was a tragic case of, uh, uh, um, what am I doing wrong? I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I think with music, to tell you the truth, the beginning of it was just being silly. Uh, the first musical things I took part in were kind of, um, they were almost like Dada bands or something. I started a band called the Urine Samplers with a friend mm-hmm. of mine. Um, and you know, just ridiculous shows, ridiculous songs. And now, when you say ridiculous, do you mean ridiculous of your own compositions or ridiculous? Yeah, I wrote songs like, about Alan Alda and Sense Around at that point. In time. Okay, yeah. So you know, see that the kids in my high school who were doing that kind of thing. Like, there was a, a band. They were friends of mine. Like they didn't play a lot of shows, but they recorded a lot. Like he was kind of ahead of the curve. He had a cassette four track before anybody else. Mm. And he was a good musician. He was primarily a drummer, but he played lots of other instruments as well. And he was into Zappa. So he was into like weird, and I I don't say weird in a pejorative sense, but he was into what at the time was very odd music. Zappa, you know, it's a little odd. And, you know, musically deft and accomplished, but certainly odd. And, but, you know, he would, they'd write these songs. It was funny. It, was, it seems a lot of kids do this now because you can do so much with like uh, recording software. But mm-hmm. he would, you know, do tape loops and invert stuff and like create funny little sounds. And, and of course, there was, there was a lot of scatological humor, yeah. uh, a lot of vomit and poop and, and lyrics about things like that. And it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard time getting into that because I liked song structure. Yeah, you know, and they were much more experimental with their stuff. But like, so was it a, a Zappa esque kind of thing that you were doing no, I think with these? The, or? This was more kind of a, um, God, music things would be more uh, like I, the Residents was kind of a band that that had a lot of influence on, or you know, I really loved Residents records, okay. and um, I loved Devo, um, and so I wasn't trying to like. It wasn't there was there wasn't a lot of complexity like you might expect or or this or that. It was just full on. Uh, 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 oh, I don't, it was just being ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> being ridiculous for the sake of being ridiculous. I think so. You know, I mean, you know, we're just kids. Like, it's, yeah, let's make this thing we can't play. So let's do this. It's funny when you're first starting out because a lot of kids, you know, when they're starting out on their rock and roll instruments, it's like they're you're learning with your buddies. Mm. right like you're all kind of learning your instruments at the same time that you're learning to play together so like you'd get together to kind of jam and it was always those very first you know rehearsals were kind of frustrating because as the guitar player it's like i'd learned okay i'd learned rocky mountain way 
by mm-hmm. Joe Walsh, which is not su- not terribly complicated. So I could play it. Uh-huh. But then I had, you know, the drummer also, he could pick it up pretty easily. Yeah. Because, you know, drummers, you know, they don't need to worry about the changes, just what time signature it is and don't try, try not to screw it up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's like, then the bass player, it's like, well, now he's got to know changes, but for some reason, like, they were the ones that were always, like, the farthest behind. Yeah. And it was like, so then I'd have to, like, teach them the song, and then by that time, the rehearsal would be over. And so, and then by the next time, that guy would have quit. We got another person in, and it was a whole rigmarole. Yeah, like that, like that. Those initial, like when the stars were forming of our rock and roll universe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Those those early bands that I had with some particular friends of mine, they were kind of more concerned about how you were going to do anything while wearing a horse's mask. Okay, you know. Yeah, see, that was like my friend's band. Very yeah, much so. yeah. I mean, so they were, you know, they'd show up and it'd be like, well, you know, I've got this idea that if we, you know. If, if we just wrap our arms up in, in duct tape, now can you still play though? It's like, I'd I, be, well, we try. <laughs> it's kind of a nascent core or a nascent Devo kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. That band morphed into another band that eventually would play with Guar. So, yeah. you know, well, it, it makes sense. It, that makes sense. So let's hear something off of one of your records. Uh, you've got a couple out that are available, and you, I'm mm-hmm. assuming you still have copies. Sell it shows. I saw some in your case, so I know they exist. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what song is this going to be? This uh, this this record track. Uh, this is the uh, first song off the Medicine Man record, and it happens to be called Medicine Man. Title track from the Medicine Man record. This is mm-hmm. Dan Janish on Independence Day. Let's hear this, Medicine Man.
My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day, and that rock and roll tune was by Dan Janis, J-A-N-I-S-C-H. Song is Medicine Man, title track from his record, Medicine Man. Of course, thanks for being with us, Dan. I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you, Joe. Like to watch you play, like to see you do what you do, your tone. You're gonna people are gonna hear this in a few minutes. You've brought this old fifties, like a slab less Paul, mm-hmm. and an amp of your own construction, correct? Yeah, it's just a sort of fender ripoff. But, uh, yeah, I built it at home. Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't built an amplifier. Oh, they're easy. You built some it. other stuff, too. Yeah, I've got a buddy who keeps busting my chops about building an amp. And I'm sh- I could probably do it. I can work a soldering mm-hmm. iron. But, like, man, if you knew the list of projects I've got already, if yeah. I had a nickel for all those projects, I'd have enough money to hire someone that I didn't have to do those projects. See how that works? Yeah, yeah. No, there's case, a certain amount of nerd aspect to it, too. There is. Yeah. There certainly is. But it's time. You know, my uh, my girlfriend was coming home the other day. She's like, well, can I bring anything home for dinner? And I was like, yeah, bring home, you know, tacos and one of those stopwatches that stops time. Yeah. Because that's what I need more than anything right now. I need time, 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 time. So let's talk a little bit more. Like we got up to like high school era. I'm like, we don't have to do this whole thing chronologically, but I want to get to, you know, from like early days up into like you being like a musician, like doing your thing. So Mm -hmm. like that first guitar lesson, like did you go to your parents and say like, hey, I think... Or did you have a guitar lesson? Like some people are completely self-taught. I took one, just one. Yeah, just one. How'd it go? Obviously, well, well. yeah, it didn't go that well. <laughs> I mean, the guy just wanted to show me Ted Nugent leads, you know, and okay. I didn't know how to tell him that I didn't really want to learn Ted Nugent leads, and it, it was a present. Somebody bought it for me, so I got through it, and then they said, "Well, you want to keep going?" I was like, "I know." Interesting. No so, how did you, you know, how did you then acquire your chops? I think copying records. Probably, you so know. So you knew enough all right did. out of the gate to just kind of, because like some kids can't even tune the thing on their own. So you must have figured that yeah, out. Yeah, there's a certain amount of that that I didn't ever have any problem with. Um, you know, I got get those concepts right away. I'd played other musical instruments, you know, before I played the the uh, uh, baritone horn in the school band. So there's a certain amount of, but uh, uh, it was it was uh, tuning it and all that other stuff was never a problem. But I think just yeah, you know, learning from playing records, and that I, uh, um, I, I was a huge Bob Dylan fan, and you know, so he 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 was a pretty good teacher for a lot of guitar stuff and singing at the same time and learning how they sort of dance around each other. Yeah, the interplay between the two, because he did so much stuff, especially in the early days with just him. Yeah. His guitar, his voice, harmonica, maybe from time to time. Uh, and that's a, that is an essential thing to like learn the, I was going to say voices, but that's not really what I'm getting at, like the arrangement, how one steps forward, one steps back, you know, you kind of yeah. balance it out, you know, because you're accompanying yourself on the guitar, you're not just going to sing a cappella. Yeah. Um, um, so then take me through then, you know, what made you decide? Was it Dylan that made you decide to write? Was it Fogarty that made you decide to write? Like, or was writing something that was all that was in the back of your mind? Some people go their whole careers without being a writer. Well, I had this uh, this this thing that I didn't do a lot of songwriting until I was about 22 years old, and I moved to this little town in Japan called Soroka. Why? Eh, it's just to go there. Okay. And, Very good reason. Um. And when I moved there, it happened to be snowing a lot. And I made friends there, and I had an acoustic guitar with me. And they got me shows, strangely, to make money. (laughs) And so I played at, like, a couple of community centers and a couple of bars. And they'd pay me, like, 300 bucks. You know, it was pretty good. 
I got to go. I'm going to go pack my stuff. I'm going to Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got to make friends with Yoshi Yamaguchi when you get over there. He'll get you the gigs. Um, but, uh, but a lot of, you know, a lot of the nights there, it was cold because it's northern Japan. And I was there sort of in the wintertime. I just started making songs up in, in the room. I, uh, it, I would think the influence at that time was mostly Carl Sandburg. Okay. I was I was I was a big Carl Sandburg fan and he had a you know cuz he was almost sort of like the uh, the the songwriter that it was that thing from like strange and odd and weird into not strange and odd and weird and he balanced those two wonderfully you know if you ever listen to any of his American songbag recordings they're, they're pretty amazing yeah yeah I don't know his songwriting work I mean I know his career somewhat but yeah, I don't even think he wrote most of that stuff, but if if you ever look up the American Songbag, you'll see it. It's strange, but it's beautiful. So then, all right, so then you decide you're going to go to Japan, and that's where you start writing songs. And how long did you spend over there? Four months. Okay, so not that terribly long. No. Just enough to be cold and write some songs. Just enough to be cold. and Especially for a right. Southern California boy. Yeah, well, plus, the, you know, the, my friend Yoshi did get me those gigs, but I don't think that was going to keep happening. And I, yeah. I didn't have any money, so it was like... <laughs> once the novelty <laughs> of the American kid wore off, it's not that... Once, yeah. once everyone's seen you play the songs once. Well, you know, I think that uh, they were they were nice to me to, to do it more yeah. than once. So then, yeah, so you come back to the States, and you're how old now, 23? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was still 22 when I got back, but... Yeah. Were um, you a kid that went to college, or did you jump right into doing music stuff, or... No, I didn't go to college too much. I went to a little bit of junior college was all and uh but mostly I mean there's not there's not really any kind of thought pattern or or easy memory pattern to go through about music. It just sort of flowed into life things I fell into and this and that. Yeah. Bands. And then I just started trying to, you know, at a certain point trying to find a place. You know, cuz the scenes I was playing music in with I was in this band called the Imperial Butt Wizards. And the scene that that was involved in, you know, wasn't going to be very welcoming with the stuff I was writing. And so I played at the, I, f I found things. There was a place called the 8121 Club back then. Played there. And I'm playing at the Central. Uh, I did some opening slots for Chucky Weiss. And then Raji's, which I played at quite a bit, uh, the Continental Drifters were playing there. And I would go and, play before them sometimes and those are like my first gigs of trying to play songs yeah and um and then it just you know you just keep rolling you meet people and you put a band together and ronnie mac books you at the barn dance and yeah and you're going yeah you know why don't you hear uh, let's hear uh, you brought a guitar brought a cool guitar cool amp cool looking pedal board too um we'll talk again a little bit later we'll talk a little bit like nerding out about making that kind of stuff um <laughs> but what's this first song you're going to play for us man uh, this song is called Everybody Has Someone That They Used to Love. And which record is this from? It is not on a record. Oh, so it's new, new. Yeah. Newish. Okay, so all right, Dan Janis, let's hear this on Independence Day. This song is called Everyone Has Somebody They Used to Love. Backyard in the city, 
I dream about the pines, lost roads and shout up highway signs and the railroad. You can hear that whistle blow. Well, I wrote a song about a memory, a love that went away. And it's long on hurt, but that makes me feel okay. Everybody's got somebody that they used to love. There's a stranger in the bar, drinking way back in his mind. And the thoughts come to him clearer now with every line he's wondering. If she ever thinks about him at all Well he has a couple more drinks And the band's alright He ain't worried about tomorrow No cause it's Saturday night And everybody's got somebody That they used to love gets mad about his ex but she had a man herself and it took a long time to get that picture off the shelf and it's still not gone she just hid it down at the bottom of a drawer she don't think of him too much but every once in a while a song comes on the radio and you can still see her smile yeah everybody's got somebody that they Some drift into the dark Some fall into the light And some fall into the arms Of a new baby tonight Leaving somebody Hurting alone Some are blind And then they see Just like my eyes When you showed me I don't know no one at all Well, I don't know no one at all Day. And you know what it means when they fold the flag up that way And she's watching the parade as it goes marching by Maybe her husband, maybe a child It's a nice day for a parade, you know it's sunny and mild And everybody's got somebody that they used to love Oh, everybody's got somebody that they used to love Used to love Used to love
All right, my name is Joe Armstrong, and that was Dan Janish, Los Angeles-based musician. I'd give you his website, but he doesn't have one. Jan, I, I'm Dan. I'm going to scold you. Well, I got uh, a Facebook page. I like I mean, everyone should have some kind of website. Okay, you have a Facebook page. Yeah, Janish. People can look you up on what on the Facebooks. J A N I S C H is where they should look yeah. for you on there. And yeah, you play around town. I do. It's still. Been, it's 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 it's. Um, I have to do that a little bit more. There was some projects I was taking part in of other things that. Uh, kept me out of doing my own music here in town, but those are done now, so I'm getting back to playing. And it seems to me you've got a couple records out. Uh, one is called, where I've got them right here, you've got uh, Medicine Man and Weeds, mm-hmm. and they're kind of spread out between the two. Like, yeah. tell me, you know, I've got, I, I'm the same way. I call it like I'm on a Boston schedule or a, a Def Leppard schedule. Uh-huh. And Roger Waters recently went 25 years yeah. between solo records. Like, so what... You know, is there a reasoning for this, or is it just kind of because you're very Taoist? I've noticed. Um, it's just money. I mean, you know, um, I was never asked by a, a record label to to sign up a contract where they were going to pay for everything, and sort of like that now. I mean, you know, it's it's difficult now as far as making a printable, you know, a printed CD. Who buys them? And but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do one. So I am going to be doing some recordings, and I'll figure out what to do with them. Um, but both those records, I'm sure I probably had two records between either one of them. I did do little things where I would play a show and put a collection together. And it would just be for that night because it's like, I do want people to have these songs if anybody wants them. But I didn't sell a lot of records. So I, if you're paying for it for your, you know, yourself, this was before um, you know going online and asking people to support right, yeah. your thing. Yeah, crowdsourcing. Yeah, so which I've never tried. Maybe I should try it. Yeah, you know, I've I've considered it for my next thing too, because you know the economy. You know, I have a job and all, and I make music and I make podcasts and I make I make beer. I make all kinds of things, but it's still even as cheap as it's as it's gotten. And I've got a lot of I can do a lot of it on my own. I've got a lot of gear I can do it with to make it sound the way I want it to sound. I'm I'm assuming you're the same way. You're going to want to do it in a nice room with nice mics and a nice set of monitors and. You know, I mean, people can get very DIY with stuff. It depends. You know, uh, Sufjan Stevens, good Lord. His first lots of things that he did, he did completely on his own with a little Roland VS880 digital desktop thing before it wasn't even a computer. It was a little box. Yeah. It's like a glorified cassette thing, except it was digital. Yeah. Some people do amazing stuff with stuff. And um, I don't know how, if I have those kinds of engineering chops, but, okay. you know. Um, uh, sometimes a lot of my favorite recordings aren't very high quality anyway, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a charm to them. Yeah, they can definitely have, you know, when you're doing something on your own, I think you have to have the courage of your convictions when you go that route because you have to allow things to be what it is that they are. Yeah. Instead of having instead of having a lofty goal, you're never going to get something that sounds like you recorded it with a U87 through a vintage 1176 compressor in your yeah. house. Unless you happen to have a U87 and a Vintage 1176 compressor in your house, you're just not going to get that. Yeah. So, um, but I do think that our society now, musically, or, you know, or the music world, we, we suffer from having too many choices. I know I do. Yeah. Like, we can, you know, I've, I've with the Pro Tools, you know, that I use to do this show, you know, I've got a million different plugins, and you can, it's like you have unlimited tracks and unlimited choices into doing things. That can be intimidating, I think, the tabula rasa aspect. 
Yeah, and you know, um, I mean, to me, the, the funny thing is, is that I have a certain love for just sitting down and doing something. Um, so I should actually have more things available because, and then I just, I just haven't done that uh, for lack of pressing money or whatever. But I, you know, because I mean, I'm a Howlin' Wolf fan. And if I listen to a Howlin' Wolf record, it's like, well, I don't need to sound any better than that. You can't sound any better than that. And that was really just microphones in a room, and I don't think any of them were expensive German microphones. I think there were probably an awful lot of cheap Japanese microphones on some of them. <laughs> so if the song's great, it's going to be fine. Yeah. You know. Well, I guess those are the limitations I was talking about, though. That's yeah. exactly what I mean. They made a record with what they had around. Yeah. They didn't wait until they had whatever they wanted or dreamed about. Yeah. They just went and did it. Now, I'm I'm sure I'm grossly oversimplifying the, what it took to get those records made. But yeah. technologically speaking, you know, you like uh, what's that Donald Rumsfeld quote? You go to war with the army you have. Yeah. Not the army you wish you had. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to anybody's war, but you know, I think we could all, you know, I could stand to take my own advice in that regard. Just make it. Yeah. I mean, I think you can do it. You just have to decide. That's what we're doing, and we're not going to think too much about this. Yeah. But if you mix more than three people together, that's, you know, somebody will say, well, hold on a second. Yeah. There you go. So. Yeah. Things tend to get their own gravity, too, once you get, the, like, once you do get that ball rolling. I mean, some people would call that, like, the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. You know, once you, once something starts to get motion, you know, it's it's one, it's easier to keep something in motion once it's in motion. And I can certainly vouch for that in my career, the times that I've kind of stepped away from music. Yeah. And then it's just hard to convince people to show back up. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of young musicians on this show, and it's fantastic. I love seeing what, the, what they're doing. It's called them kids. But I love seeing what the young musicians are doing. But my favorite thing is looking at that period in their life, as talented as they are, and how dedicated to it, that, that's like the only thing that they're doing. Yeah, you know, it's like I people ask me the question. I would have I asked you just a minute ago, like, well, haven't you released more records? It's like, well, man, I'm climbing mountains, I'm making beer, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm doing a podcast, I'm doing all this stuff. You know, I'm yeah. not like I'm not singular of focus. I'm kind. I call myself a farm league renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing all these different things. You know, and music is a big part of it, and maybe the most important thing. But it's just one aspect of what keeps me going on the planet. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's and a lot of times it's. You're, you're, you're hunting around to find an answer to that. There isn't really an answer. It's just your life happens as it happens. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. You get all philosophical on it. You know, life's, what do they I'm, say? What's that phrase? Life happens. Life is a thing that happens while you're trying to figure out what your life is or something yeah, to that something. effect. That's, that's, uh, life is what happens when you're trying to figure out what that saying was. Exactly. <laughs> See? See, now we're getting all Yogi Berra on this oh, whole stop. thing. Yeah. A little John Prine in there. Uh, why don't you play another song for us, Dan? Okay. Like, I like the songs that you brought. They're good stuff. I, I, it's, it's fun to hear you do what you do. So what's this next one? Uh, this is a song called Here She Comes Now. Okay. And this is, this is also kind of newish, right? So most of these songs are going to be playing. about, uh, probably about four or five years old, actually. Right. But, no, but well, it, I, when I say new, I mean not on a record is what I mean. It is not on a record. So no. people can't go by this. So all these songs are exclusives. They're exclusives. Absolutely. All right. Dan Janish, one more time on Independence Day. She's easily broken down And all the light in her eyes Would fade and wash away If she cries If she cries So it's up to me To 
beat the darkness in my heart And all those selfish things that tear down That tear down See, I've got this chance That I might be The one that she would trust to Hold her hand and care enough Here she comes now Here she comes Here she comes now Here she comes With the moonlight she wears like a gown The stars they gather and make the diamonds for her crown Once I went looking for something Well I had to let it go And started drifting whichever way the wind would blow That's where I'd go I became a reckless man I never counted any costs But now I feel like I found a piece of me that I lost A long time ago She's walking down the street And people stop and stare She stops in front of me And shows the world I've got a reason to care Here she comes now Here she comes Here she comes now, here she comes With the moonlight she wears like a gown The stars they gather and make the diamonds for her crown Oh yes indeed, yeah Walking down the street Everybody stops and stares She stops in front of me And shows the world I got a reason to care Here she comes now Here she comes Here she comes now Here she comes With the moonlight she wears like a gown Stars together and make the diamonds for her crown Here she comes now Here she comes Here she comes now Here she comes Oh, and the moonlight she wears like a gown The stars together and make the diamonds for her crown Here she comes now And here I go again Here she comes now My name is Joe Armstrong. Once again, Dan Janish. He's our guest on Independence Day this week. It's lovely to have you in. We had him in once before as part of a trio 
called uh, J- Jolene's. Not the Jolene's. It's Jolene's. It's Jolene's, but it's four people. It's, oh, it's straight. It's four people. I, yeah. I always forget that uh, it's Dale, right? Yeah. Well, Dale's very quiet. He is quiet, and he just kind of does his thing. He's a very work day about it. He's good. He's good at what he does too. Oh, he's wonderful. He's just—he's one of my favorite human beings. But uh, we took a short break there for a second. Oh, the audience didn't hear this, but you've got a question for me. Oh yeah, I got here, a question here at the for Independence you. Day World Headquarters. You have a question. What is that? Uh, I would like to know why you have a very large pumpkin sitting on top of a uh, pail in your bathtub. What's well, it? It's a bucket for one thing. There is a bucket. It's a bucket. piece of cardboard. I also have an empty keg in my bathtub. You see, it's interesting. You didn't ask me about the empty keg. Well, I know what the keg's about. <laughs> but I was I was thinking they might be related somehow, like you're going to do a pumpkin spice They're beer. actually not. I am what you would call a Halloween junkie. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a part of the country. I mean, Halloween happens here in Los Angeles, and they do have trick-or-treating. But where I come from, it's a, it's a much bigger deal. I mean, we're not like witches and Wiccan or anything like that. But... It's like oh, that's a shame. That's the end. Well, I'm sure they're around, but that's the that's the end of like this warmish weather holidays. Like the weather has now turned. It's cold, especially the nights are a little chilly, mm. and like the romance. Like in my like, I grew up in an agri- like an uh, agricultural area, mm-hmm. so like you didn't go to Ralph's, which was jewel for us to buy a pumpkin, the yeah. grocery store. Like you would go out into a field with your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters, and your dad would get out his pocket knife, and he would you'd pick your pumpkin and you'd cut it. Off the vine, and then you got your pumpkin like out of the field. Like, and you sometimes they'd take you out there in a tractor, and <laughs> it, like it was a whole production. A it was a lot of fun, it was like a hayride kind of thing, you know. And yeah. it was like, you know, the like I said, and it's there's a romance to like in a, in a humanity sense, like the, the weather changing, and then you get to pick out your costume, and that was always fun to kind of take on an alter ego. And then in school, like back then, I don't know what it is like now. Like some schools don't even don't allow the kids to dress up. But like we would dress up our costumes, and then of course you'd get a night. Like you'd, it was also like I think maybe the key thing. This is all wrapped up together. It was the first time that your parents, like as you got to be a little bit older, they'd kind of turn you loose. Mm-hmm. You know, like helicopter parenting is such a thing now. Parents are kind of hovering all over their kids all the time, like got them on leashes. Mm-hmm. And like we, you know, do it in my neighborhood. And I could go around by myself get my candy, come home, and then we'd drive over to my grandma's neighborhood, which was a couple of miles away, and she'd, they'd turn me loose there. And I'd be gone for a couple hours after dark, totally on my own. It was like freedom. Yeah. You know, it was like a little Bruce Springsteen song in a way. Yeah. You know? And, and Halloween was all part of that romance. So, and because I'm a, I'm a very nostalgic lad, mm-hmm. um, it took me years to find a place here in Southern California where I could go pick a pumpkin out of the field, and I finally found it. So every year, I make a pilgrimage out to this place, and, and she's still going. Well, here's the, and then that to tie it all together. I buy a bunch of pumpkins, have a big Halloween party to which you're invited, of course, Dan. Okay. Uh, and thank you. You're welcome. And uh, but there's I, I since I buy so many pumpkins, I don't always carve one. There's like one or two left over. So I just then out here, like at home, they would either freeze or turn to mush. Like it's too it's too cold, hot, wet. Mm-hmm. Here it's so dry, they just keep. So yeah. I just keep one, and then I got into this weird tradition. I'm going to Yosemite in June. It's like my favorite. It's my vacation every year. I go up to the mountains. Okay. And one year, I was on a lark on my way out of town, I was like, I'm just going to take the pumpkin. <laughs> so I took it up, because it's kind of a novelty. It's, I'm the only guy in Yosemite National Park with a pumpkin. So then I would carve the pumpkin, make a jack-o'-lantern out of it, because you know mm-hmm. it's fun to have that around the campfire. Sure. And then I would be the only guy in Yosemite National Park in June with a jack-o'-lantern, and then one year, I took it hiking and like took it out into the. I shouldn't say this because I'm sure it's illegal to abandon a pumpkin 
uh, in the national park, but I would take it and like I would. Well, many parts it. are edible. Well, so it's I'm, totally biodegradable, yeah. but um, and pumpkins do grow in California, so it's an indigenous, you know, thing. Long story short, I still have a pumpkin left over from Halloween, and that's why I just keep it in there in case it does turn to mush. I'm hoping it's going camping next month. I hope so too. Uh, and it looks like it's it's going to be fine. I think we're going to make it. I just had one turn to mush about two weeks ago, so one of them almost made it. Yeah. You know, well, that one's looking pretty. That it looks like you just picked it up. Yeah. Well, that's the so. whole point, man. So that's that's why Dan. That's why I have a pumpkin in my okay. bathtub. Well, I'll share with you quickly that please that Halloween something I enjoy too. You know, it's the only holiday where people are urged to give to strangers. Doesn't that make it kind of sweet? And it's, it's very much about children. Yes. It's also, uh, I mean, there is a religious like forebear to it, the, the All Hallows Eve or Day of the Dead, like you yeah. know. But like religious tradition has largely has co-opted a lot of those things that predate those religions. Mm. You know, the spring Easter happens around spring, yeah. and harvest. You know, fall, Halloween, uh, All Saints that kind of happens around then. Christmas happens around the uh, winter solstice. Uh, summer solstice. I mean, we, there's not a religious one per se, mm. um, but there are some, you know, Midsummer's Eve kind of deals. Well, I'm kind of more the modern Halloween guy. Where's my free candy bar? Yeah. But, well, I guess that's my point, though. It all <laughs> it all ties together. You know. No, I know. I'm kidding. I just. But I've always thought it's kind of a sweet thing. It's the only holiday where people give to somebody they don't even know. Indeed, and, and you get to, to kind of time and time again take on an alter ego, put on a costume, you know, be someone else for a night, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, be, because it's, there's no like large religious aspect to it. There's no elaborate gift giving. So you have to spend like a ton of money. You just buy some candy. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, no traveling involved, like no big relatives with meals. So we don't have to argue with your uncle, drunk uncle about politics and religion. And so it has good cartoons. It does have cartoons. It's very simple. That's why I like it the best. Anyway, enough about that. Dan Janish, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much Another for having good song. me, man by the way. Thank you very much. Tell me about this new project now. Um, you're going to go, you've got you've got a couple records people can buy mm-hmm. and the, all the songs you're playing, I was going to say they're new, they're not new, new, but they're uh, not on a record so they're going to be new to listeners. Um, what, is this going to be different from prior things you've done? Similar? Like what's changed since the last time you made a record? Oh, I don't know to tell you the truth. Um, I would hope... Uh, I think that this one's kind of got um, the 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 the, uh, the sort of field of songs that I'm sort of going to choose from. Um, and this isn't to insult my other records. Go buy them, people. They're so good. Um, but I think it'll be a stronger record than anything, only because the there's uh, each each thing has a, a good strong spine to it. Each um, song, you mean? Yeah, I think it'll just be a nice collection, I think, I, I hope. So. Now, have you decided, um, you know, because stylistically, I would put you, I'm actually let you describe it. Like, so you, now you're in the elevator with David Geffen. Like, what's, do you have, like, a, if you could come up with an elevator pitch? Like, if someone asked you, or you just meet someone at a party. Hey, what do you sound like? Um, you know, I don't really have that. Um, uh I, to some people, uh, they would use the term, uh, you know, you're a songwriter-sounding person. Some people would say you're an Americana-sounding person, and some people would say you're a ro- more of a rock and roll-sounding person, and some people would say you're more of a folky-sounding person. And I think all that stuff just smeared around, um, you know, 
Um, so, uh, songwriter who have, uh, who has uh, different tempos. <laughs> <laughs> and different keys. There's several different tempos on one record. Okay, here we go. Bye. Now talk to me about your, and we kind of touched on this before a little bit, but talk to me about like when you approach making a record. You know, obviously, you know, we resources are, you know, scarce. So it's like you can book, you know, the record plant for a month. Um, yeah. So you're going to make the record. But then do you tend to go into the studio with songs, like with your players, or do you... And teach them in the studio and like kind of let things kind of evolve off the cuff. Or do you of, rehearse them up before you go in? Well, a lot of my regular like medicine man, I play everything on on that record and the record before it. My, Drums most too. Most of it, yeah. Very nice. So, and a lot of it was homemade. Um, I've done some things. The Weeds record has some stuff that was recorded at a big studio. Um, this one, there may be some studio recording and some some stuff done at home, just on an old tape deck still. Um, I'm going to create as I go along. And so since a lot of it hasn't been done yet, I'm going to feel out ideas. And if I like the way the idea works, then that's what's going to be used. So it's kind of hard to say how it's going to, what the process is going to be. I, yeah. use, I like to leave part of that to, you know, you try something and it worked. So let's yeah. use that. Are you the type of artist who's going to like push yourself to do something slightly different, even sonically? Or do you kind of let the cards fall when you do your thing? Um, I think at this point, um, you know, I have a really lovely, uh, 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 healthy respect for uh, getting things out of the way. Almost taking the song down to exactly what it needs. So, um, and that once again, that's just something that you know, when you're sitting down and doing it, you know how elaborate you want to be. Yeah. Um, but I do want to make it, um, um, you know, I don't want th three guitar tracks or any of that stuff, you know, just like a guitar and a bass and a drums and maybe some piano. Piano. Or something like that. And then, but who knows, it could change when it starts happening. I think it's interesting how everybody dresses up their songs differently because a lot of people I talk to on this show are singer-songwriter types. So they've got an idea, like they're the ones who've written these songs. So they're not just going to reinterpret something. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to hire like a musical director to then go in and then reinterpret some classics by Coltrane mm -hmm. or by, you know, whomever, you know, Saravon. Um, they've written the songs. But, you know, from the experience of writing my own songs, like some of the songs they like, can tell me, they, t they tell me like right off the bat, like I want to be this, okay, I'm, I'm kind of loud and I'm brash and I'm, I'm going to the party. So yeah. this is how I'm going to be. And then other songs are more malleable, you yeah. know? And it's interesting for me to like try it a little bit this way. Okay, well, what is, and I've even changed the time signature. Like, well, let's try this in three. Does it work in three? Does it work in six? Does yeah. it, you know, and let's try it in four again. And let's try this fast. Let's try this slow. Let's push the tempo, drag the tempo. Um, I just I find that fascinating how yeah. they, things can be dressed up a little bit or dressed down. Yeah, yeah. It's it, and a, a lot of times it's in the moment that you're that you're. I I don't think I've ever recorded something where when I went in it, there was a strict rule about how it had to be done, except the, for the song itself. Generally, you know, like a song that I play, I'm still going to play it that way, but I don't think about you know. Um, 
you know, I, I don't have like a bass part where I would show a bass player. It's like, this is what you have to play. But that may happen. Yeah. You know, with something that I haven't done yet. And then somebody will say, I heard you say once you'd never do this. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, maybe this time I'm lying. So when you, one last question, I wanted you to play another song, if you would, please. Uh, when you play a live show, having done a lot of the instruments yourself, mm-hmm. do you, like when you get a band together to play a show, like do you, do you have a regular set group of guys and girls or girls that you work with or do you kind of pick them up as you do a show for that show? I've had the same trio. I, I kept my band to a trio for a long time now, um, which is uh, Anna Marie Rosales playing bass. Mm-hmm. And we've had her yeah. on the show as well. Yeah, and and she sings and plays the bass. And then Keith Palmer has drummed and sang. And then me. And that's that's been the band for a long time. Okay. So so then it's it's not as if you've got to have them reinterpret stuff like they kind of know what you're going for having worked with them for a they long spend time. a lot of time figuring out feel between the two of them when we work on new songs uh and that works great usually and then if i have something to add i do you know yeah uh, and that's kind of fun uh because they've worked together in other bands besides me and sometimes it's fun to watch a rhythm section figuring their thing out together it is and I, it's unless it's completely off base. I, you know, I would. I usually am just like, yeah, that's cool, or you know, that's not. <laughs> and that's about all I'm gonna say. And yeah, it's, it's like, kind of like something else. If they're your songs, you've got like what I call either veto power or like the right of last refusal, because you know, I, I always tell people when I play with them, like it's gonna be different ways for different songs. Like there are gonna be some some ideas that I've hashed that I'm very specific about that idea. The song has told me, it's spoken to me from upon the mount that it, this is the way it wants to be. At least now, that's the way it wants to be. It might change in the yeah. future. And there are other songs where I'll bring them in and I'll have no earthly clue. I'm like, well, hey, uh, you know, here's the chords and the changes. You know, go. Yeah. Do, do your thing. And I think the more, you know, ideally you choose players uh, to play with in your ensemble who are going to bring something that, that you know, as you expect necessarily. I don't want to say it like they're in a box. But stylistically, they're going to do something that you, you there's a reason you have that player. I guess. Yeah. For the yeah. way they play. Yeah, and I mean it's funny. The biggest reason I've played with the same two people is that they actually they they actually want to play the stuff and care for it. And um, you know, in L.A., that can be kind of hard to to do, where you somebody's going to stay dedicated to what it is that, that isn't theirs. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's a very mercenary it's, town. It's, well, it, and you can understand why with a lot of people. I mean, it's it's somebody like me. I'm not going to be able to hold down somebody who, you know, needs to make a hundred, hundred bucks a night. Cause I can't always right. pay that well. Sometimes right. I can't, sometimes I can't. Yeah. No, like you're gonna, we, we don't have guys on retainer. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, the only guy on a retainer that I have is my nephew. He just got his retainer the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Dan Janish, after that awesome joke, I want you to play a live song. What's this next one? Okay. Um, I'm going to play a song called stray too far from the fold. Tell me a little bit about it. Uh, this comes from Pentecostal upbringing. Interesting. Yeah. I uh, see. Now I wish I would have known that before. Um. Well. I know it now. All right. We'll come back. We'll talk about that just a little bit. So this is Dan Janish on Independence Day. Let's hear that strayed too far from the fold.
I strayed too far from the fold A fool lost out in the wind Chasing after some crazy dream But I strayed too far from the fold
Dan Janish on Independence Day. I'm Joe Armstrong. You can drop by indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Also, indepday.com slash iTunes. If you've got the iTunes thing on your uh, your mobile phone unit or your computer, which a lot of people do these days. You can even if you've got an Apple TV, you can look it up there if you've got the streaming thing at home. Uh, also, indepday, let's see, let's see, facebook.com slash indepday, Instagram indepday, Twitter indepday, we're all over the place, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y, you know where to find us. Dan Janish uh, has a Facebook page, it's the best place to find him uh, and his great songs <coughs> that he puts together. And I just learned before that you grew up, you had a Pentecostal household, which yeah. is kind of interesting, it's especially for California. I don't know a lot of people, like I have roots in the southeast, in mm-hmm. the, in the greater Alabama area. And there's there's a lot of Baptists, but there's some Pentecostals there as well. Like that's how is that in California, or where well, did it come from? Yeah, no, it was here in California. That's just the church my mother went to. She actually taught Bible class at that church, and it wasn't shoved down. You know, I wasn't in a we're going to take you to the basement and burn you kind of Pentecostal thing. Yeah, I didn't have to handle snakes or anything like that. But well, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, you know, um, which is too bad. As a kid, man, that would probably get me to church yeah. if I could like play with snakes. Yeah, yeah. They'd, um, but, uh, but that's what they considered the, the, the church I went to. So there was speaking in tongues and there was a lot of this and there was a lot of that, but a lot of the extended family, there was a lot of that type of sort of, um, the sort of Christianity that keeps people teaching the generation upon generation about fear as a way to follow a rule, you know, so it sneaks into songs once in a while, you know, um, it's good fodder. I mean, I, I don't mean to downplay it or, or say that it's a good or bad thing, but it is definitely people's upbringing. Like the, that's the stuff that's going to be truthful to you. It's yeah. the stuff you look back upon and you know was in your DNA, written into your code. Whether you practice now or not is irrelevant. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's good stuff for songwriting. It can be if you you know, um, it's it, it certainly has fallen out a couple of times from things I've done. And uh, it tends to get reactions out of people, you know. So they 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 become their own little thing. Those songs, like so yeah. many songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just want to touch upon that. And I have one more thing I want to ask you about before I kick you out of here, and that is you you tinker like you've built guitars, yeah, and you've built assembled amplifiers. You kind of demure a little bit when I'm asking you about these kinds of things. But like, I've seen your work and it's pretty cool. Like that's an extra step that a lot of people don't necessarily take. I know like in the history of music, Eddie Van Halen used to assemble his own guitars. Uh Brian May, there's that famous story about he and his dad. Like they couldn't really, I don't know if it was the legend was they couldn't afford one, but they built like that guitar that's become the, you know, um, completely tied to him. Yeah. Associated with him was originally built by him and his father. 
Yeah. So like, what made you decide? Like, were you always a tinkerer? Were you like the kid with the radio kit in school or when you were a kid? Uh, I was, yeah, there's always been some sort of tinkering part of me. When I was younger, I was into cars and I rebuilt a couple of cars and went through cars and, you know, I've, I've painted throughout my life, just, uh, you know, artistic painting and... Uh, sort of the you know sort of the mixing of the of the different sides of you know, it's uh, mechanical mind and creative minds they they they're strange they make a weird little meditative place when you put them together and so it's enjoyable a lot of it now is very funny because I just feel like you're somebody's grandpa out in the garage you know with his uh, uh, magnifying uh, yeah yeah things on you know putting together a a circuit, but most of most of the amps are just mixtures of things Leo Fender did, and they're just fun to make. Yeah, you know, like this the the, the one I am playing today is that was what I was doing when it was raining so much three months ago. It's like, well, I don't have a big plan. Okay, let's build the preamp. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to me because now was this out of just a desire to tinker or cuz some people like the you know like Eddie I know he just he was wildly curious about it and he couldn't find what it was he was getting at like what he wanted so he built something. I guess that's the question. Like did you build it because you wanted to build something that you couldn't get because like like in the lineage of guitars, let's back, let's back up just a little bit. Uh-huh. Like there's or even amplifiers. Like before you said, you know, derivatives of Fender. Even Marshall was originally like a like a modded basement. Uh-huh. So there's really only a couple family trees. There's like the Vox family tree and the Fender family tree, and then maybe a little Ampeg, Silvertone yeah. maybe. But they're all derivative of, of a couple simple elemental circuits. Yep. Guitars somewhat similarly. You've got like Gibson and Fender are the big two. Single mm-hmm. coils, humbuckers, even though they both have some cross-pollinization in that regard. Yeah. But like, you know, classic players, there's, there's a few players out there who are associated with like a unique guitar that only they play. Yeah. Uh, Trey Anastasio, um, what's his name from The Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia, were guys that played kind of like their own thing. Yeah. But like a lot, most players that I know play a, a Strat or a Tele or a Paul, yeah. you know, I'd say, you know, a large percentage. So did you, to kind of back forward again, scoot forward, uh-huh. um, were you building something you you couldn't find? No. Or was it just no, because I, you the, wanted to do it? The very first guitar that I made for myself was, uh, I've always worked with doing woodworking, and I just wanted to make, um, the funny thing is the first guitar I made, it's a, it's a nice instrument, Um. Uh, but there's a couple of mistakes I could point out to you on that one. And then the second guitar I made, I could point out a couple of mistakes. Did you skip the 13th fret? You know, that's the thing. I was afraid of the 13th fret, and so I did skip it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you want an F that high up, forget <laughs> it. Um, no, but no, but it was, uh, it was just, it was just a curiosity and, and something I was looking forward to. I, I guess I'm a nerd. I like having little projects sometimes. And they're fun to make. They're frustrating to make, but they're fun. Yeah. And it's just a sort of, you know, um, as long as you get the neck put into a piece of wood correctly. I don't build acoustic guitars. Never have done that. But as long as you get that thing put in there right and know what you're doing somewhat, you can make one. 
Electric guitar is more forgiving, definitely. To a certain degree, I would have to say they're a lot more forgiving. The body of an acoustic guitar is, you know, I have a couple friends who make acoustic guitars, and um, uh, it's 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 a lot more elaborate. Of a, you know, usually minor. You take them to the bandsaw, you make the shape, and then you drop a router into it and put the holes in it. Where the you know, it's not you don't have to tune it. Do you remember? Uh, did you see the movie? It might get loud. Maybe I never really watched. I saw some clips here and there. Ten years ago, for people who haven't seen it, basically they took the Edge from U two, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, and uh, who is the third guy? Uh, Jack, Jack White, White from the White Stripes, and you know three guitar players from you know ostensibly disparate styles, put them together in a sound stage, had them hang out, set up all their gear. No uh-huh. singers, no drummers, no bass players, just the three guitar players. So it's kind of a nerdy guitar documentary. But then they each played some of their stuff for each other because each of them were innovators in their own way. Mm-hmm. and Or are, I should say. And they're all still with us. And it was interesting watching the three of them kind of appreciate something out of their wheelhouse, something that was different for each of them. But the opening scene from that movie is worth checking out because it starts with Jack White because he think he lives in Nashville. Mm-hmm. So he, he must have had some kind of elemental pickup. And he walks into this room garage whatever he's got like a hammer and nails he nails one nail into a two by four or some piece of wood another nail another about three feet away two feet away takes a string kind of roughly runs it across these two nails Mm -hmm. sticks the pickup in there very haphazardly and then takes like a knife edge or some kind of slide plugs into an amplifier and just starts doing like slide stuff on this completely ad hoc instrument Very rudimentary, very simple. Mm-hmm. But be- especially because his stuff is so raw, it worked very well for what he was doing. Because yeah. you know, once you kind of once you figure out your intervals, where's yeah. my third, where's my fifth? And it was very simple, but it was very, very cool. Yeah. And I guess, it's th- I guess that's kind of the tip of the hat to how simple an electric guitar can be. People get down to like the most minute detail about these things. But Yeah, you're not doing brain surgery, but it's, you know... I think a lot of times whenever you do anything that requires any kind of work in the world today, um, I mean, people are amazed if, if they find out you know how to change your own spark plugs anymore. Yeah. But I was, I've was i just been a nerd, so I just know how to do stuff. So. Yeah. Usually it just has people calling me, like, you know, when they're toilet clogs or something. It's like, you know what to do, don't you? And it's like, yeah, go call plumber. <laughs> prank call, prank call. <laughs> Yeah, I you know I I come you know that side of my dad's side of the family from the south. It's a very very strong DIY aesthetic. A lot of theirs was based on lack of funding. Like that's what my you want a house was build a house. Yeah, you know, uh, you know my mom's the detail stuff comes from my mom's side of the family. Like my dad could build the whole house, but then never put the outlet covers on. Yeah, it's done. It works. It's functional. Keeps the rain out. Yeah, goes on. It helps get rid of a cat once in a while. <laughs> exactly. That's terrible. Anyway, Dan, how about one more song? I'm going to kick you out of here. What's this last tune? Um, this last tune is called Long Goodbye. How appropriate. All right, Dan Janish on Independence Day. Well, you ask me why I'm still alone After so much time It's a long A long goodbye Well, a new boy and her friends don't know She still calls me from time to time It's a long, 
a long goodbye All whiskey Ease my mind Oh, yellow moon It's the same old wish again Cause I'd go down To save her soul Each and every time It's a long long goodbye and There's nothing as dull as silence as it consumes your mind It's a long a long goodbye I'm haunted by a flower that is withered up and died. It's a long, a long goodbye. And I will almost every day just to let it go inside. But it's a long, long goodbye So sleep Surprise me tonight Bring no memories Yeah, you ask me why I'm still alone After so much time It's a long A long goodbye It's a long A long goodbye Dan Janish, I can't thank you enough, man, for thank coming you. out here to the Independence Day World Headquarters, bringing the stuff that you assembled, that old cool Les Paul. Uh, we'll put some pictures of, the, of that thing up on the Instagram page. Uh, sharing your tunes, that's the most important thing. Um, you know what you're doing with guitar tones, you know what you're doing with songs, and it's always a delight to hear someone come in uh, who is capable of doing stuff at that level. So thank you, man. Well, thank you very much, Joe. I really enjoyed it. And... Um, um, Thanks for letting me come up by myself in the middle of the sure, man. It was cool. afternoon. And yeah, it was very fun. Very, very fun. So keep us abreast of when you're playing. I'll try to make sure people know these things. I myself would like to go see you play one of these days. And if okay. you get a new website, 
let me know. In the meantime, people can check out your Facebook page, Janish, J-A-N-I-S-C-H. Mm-hmm. It's the proper and way to... There might be a website at some point. We'll see. It should be. I mean, I, I, don't I know, know. I know. I just... This, I'm, I'm lazy. Just trying to get my job to be easier, man, is all it really is. I know, but I, I want know, people I to learn about you, actually. That's what it comes down to, and that's the simplest way. So, But they can find you on Facebook. And also, please let us know when that new record comes out. We'll have you come back in and play a couple of those new songs. And you can bring a band that time. Okay. We'd love to see be, Anna. That would, that would be, be so much fun. Thank you. Lovely to see her. So thank you to Dan Janish, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tankley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The considerate Tony Tone Lopez Scotty manages the Independence Day website. The Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be sure to check them out. As always, for Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another.